Midas Pharo looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharo, Pharo dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharo. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feeds stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. As Opal Ridge stormed home to win the Derby Munro Stakes at Rosehill Gardens on Slipper Day, Luke Pepper's thoughts may well have wandered back to the little riding school in the Sydney suburb of Ryde, where he first sat on a horse. From there, he would spend a number of years in the Ride Pony Club, where he got to a very high level in several pursuits. When his parents retired and moved to Bodella on the New South Wales south coast, young Luke went with them, and so did his small team of show jumpers. In order to feed and maintain those show jumpers, he joined the staff at nearby Maringo Stud, where he gained invaluable experience working with stallions, mares, foals, and yearlings. A certain foal arrived during Luke's time at Maringo who was destined for racetrack glory. Then came lengthy stints with trainers Barbara Joseph and Nick Olive, after which he decided to bite the bullet and have a serious crack at training in his own right. He started at Canberra, moved to Maruya for a short time and then returned to the national capital. He'd still be training in Canberra had it not been for the tough workers' compensation costs imposed by the ACT government. $30,000 a year more than the premiums being paid by New South Wales counterparts. In the middle of last year, Luke Pepper relocated to a 17-box complex on the Scone Racecourse, and that's where Opal Ridge has been educated and trained for an eight-start career which has brought five wins, two seconds, and $550,000. I think it's fair to say the ACT government may have done Luke Pepper a favour. Does that pick up? Yeah, look, John, it uh, was a big move um, for me and my partner, Tani. Um, But when we were presented with stables, um, um, we bit the bullet and uh, 
made our way up the highway to Scone and, um, yeah, we've never looked back and um, we've really enjoyed it and, um, yeah, we love Scone. You started an exodus from Canberra because Nick Oliver's now bolted to Queen Bean and Matty Dale has bolted to Goulburn. Yeah, look, it's very unfortunate, you know. Um, there's a lot of people that obviously were working at the track and, um, you know, we just had no other option. Um, we stuck it out as long as we could and it wasn't going to change. So obviously it's a lot of money um, to start behind of any sort of trainer in New South Wales and um, it just, just made no sense financially to stay there. And, um, yeah, I made the move and not too long after me, um, Maddie and Nick both left. Yeah. Well, they tell me racing New South Wales has already begun a massive project at Scone. Yeah, there's 300 boxes going to be built at Scone um, and a poly track put in. Um, so it's, you know, for a country uh, track, it's going to be probably the pinnacle of the country racing circuit in uh, New South Wales, and that was the big appeal for me to come here when I um, had a look at what they were going to do here in the future. Um, it made so much sense um, to move here. I've got some great clients up this way as well, and um, obviously on the doorstep of all the major studs. So uh, it's um, it's a it's a great place, John, and um, we were able to buy a house in town, and uh, yeah, we're very happy here. Mm. Well, as we said, you've got 17 in work for now because that's all you can fit. But down the track, you'd like to sneak up a little. You don't want to become a massive training operation. No, no I never never had a dream of being a massive, massive operation, John. Like I still ride um, my work and um, I'd just like to keep hands on. Um, look, obviously, we want to expand without a doubt and um, sort of build the quality, not quantity, but... Um, yeah, look, when they um, go ahead and build the stables, that would be ideal for us if we were able to move into a brand-new barn on a, an amazing facility. And um, uh, I've had a look at the, the what they're doing there and it's going to be amazing when they build them. There's going to be um, walkers and treadmills and everything you'll need um, to prepare a racehorse for the races. Yeah, this is obviously racing New South Wales' long-term plan to ease the congestion in Sydney. It's almost impossible uh, to get boxes at any of the Sydney metropolitan tracks. Yeah, look, I think it's the same out in the country um, as well. It's not just Sydney that uh, there's trainers just crying out for more boxes and obviously racing New South Wales have uh, got a, a big plan on um, trying to facilitate that and um, I think once they sort of start and start building it's um, – you know, obviously going to help country trainers as well as city trainers. The Opal Ridge story began when two great mates, a father and son duo, Alan and Ryan Hunt, went to the 2021 English Classic Sale with the express purpose of buying a horse for you to train. Had you trained horses for them previously? Yeah, I had one horse from him um, called Rev It Up Red Nut, um, uh, that, uh, look, I had a little bit of success with her. Um, I had um, moved to Canberra um, at, at the same time and they decided to have her trained um, down at Maria. Um, so that was the last time I trained a horse for them and um, then I got a phone call and asking um, if I was interested in 
um, training another one for him. And um, mm. lucky enough for me, it was um, Opal Ridge. Goodness me. Did you say rev it up, Red Nut? Yeah, that was a name. Um, she was a handy little mare. She ended up going on, and I think she won about a hundred and fifty thousand. So mm. she definitely was no slouch as well. So um, yeah, no, they've been really lucky, and they deserve all all, um, all the luck they can get. Uh, Ryan and his dad, and um, look, you know, we're all all enjoying the ride with Opal Ridge. Well, Alan and Ryan were there at the English Classic Sale when the filly by Rubik. Out of Chadana came into the ring. Chadana was a my boy Charlie mare who'd actually won three races at Canberra for Keith Dryden and Scott Collings. Now, Rubik had already sired the Everest winner. Yes, yes, yes. So it was pretty hard to predict what this filly would bring. She was, in fact, Luke, passed in. Yeah, that's correct. Um, She was um, passed in. Um, and Ryan, obviously, with the budget he had, was having trouble um, trying to get any horse that he had on his list. And I think he ran into um, Harry um, from Inglis and um, Harry pointed him in the direction of a filly that he thought that might suit them. And um, lucky enough, it was Opal Ridge. Um, I think they went down and uh, had a look at her. They were very happy with her and uh, were able to secure her for twenty grand. Yeah. These are the stories that keep smaller investors interested, Luke. $20,000 yearling, she's already won 550000 and a stakes race. Her residual value is already through the roof. Yeah, look, she's um, oh, look, she's just been a dream for us. Um, and obviously, you know, when you go to the sales, it, you know, it's not getting easy uh, or not getting easier mm. to buy a yearling these days. Um, and, you know, it's um, it's it's big business and there's a lot of competition out there and it's very hard to secure any yearling at this point. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it's one of those um, unbelievable stories where she's, you know, been sitting down in her, in her box there at Inglis. Um, obviously, no one sort of bidded on her and, yeah. Ryan, his father, wandered down there and been able to secure her for 20 grand. Mm. You like to keep your yearlings in the stable for 10 days or two weeks after they've been broken in. Let them have a look around. So when this filly got to your place, you actually rode her a few times and right from the get-go, you couldn't believe her attitude, the professionalism. Yeah, look, she wasn't much to look at after coming in from the breaker. Um, she was... You know, she was she was not bad. She was just plain. She, but her attitude was just like an older horse straight away. From the moment we started on her, um, she just went out there, done a job, come back, ate a feed, and um, there was yeah. no no arguments from her at all. And she just had a great attitude. And look, like we said, we just um, bring them in and give them a bit of a spin around to have a look at their uh, new setup. So it makes it a lot easier that when they've come back in from that. Um, first breaking in prep, they've been to the stables, they know how it all works and um, I think it's a good ploy on how to sort of do them with those young ones and, yeah, and then she went out for a spell and um, as I told you, Johnny, she come back and I actually thought they sent the wrong horse back. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But, uh, the way she had grown, um, just filled out and, um, you know, I run Ryan. I said, I can't believe this is the same horse, you know. So, yeah. um, and then it sort of, yeah, this, the story went from there. Fast forward to her first start in an open two year old race at Canberra. Kayla Nisbet was the rider. 
and she came from back in the field to win with great authority. Yeah, look, we're pretty confident that day. She obviously trialled up fantastic on her home track and, um, you know, I I'd, had galloped her with some of the better horses I had there at the time and, um, you know, these two-year-olds that go pretty good can sort of stand up to that and she was, um, you know, beating them very comfortably and so we're pretty confident going into her first start and she'd come out and uh, – um, won really well. Um, we probably weren't expecting her to get back as far as she did, but mm. to her credit, she picked herself up and um, she was really strong and um, we are pretty excited after that win, that's for sure. Well, the euphoria was short-lived, Luke, because the very following morning she walked out of her box lame behind. The vets were there in a flash. What did they find? Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, as you, as anybody does, it has a nice two-year-old winner. You start looking at um, all the bigger races, and we've got a really big race in Canberra, the Black Opal, and that was our main aim. And um, I thought she would be a honest, solid chance in a race like that, and everybody was excited. But that um, soon turned the next morning when we got her out to put her on the walker, and she was sore behind, and um, we found that she had a hairline fracture to a tibia bone. Mm, above uh, the hock. Yeah, so yeah. she uh, – look, no no surgery was done on her. She was just uh, – had to be um, put out for a long spell. Um, so, yeah, so those um, Black Opal Dreams and whatever else as a two-year-old sort of went out the back door. But, mm. look, funny, funny at all the way it happened because I think it was a blessing in disguise she mm. – um, again, come back a bigger, stronger filly, and um, she was a late two-year-old, and um, she come back and we're on the move to Scone. Mm. Well, it was six months before she raced again, and she cantered home in a benchmark 58 at Scone. Then she ran second with not much luck in a late-season two-year-old race at Rose Hill behind Troach in the Godolphin Colours. Now, she was going so well at that time, you decided to have a throw at the stumps in the Group 2 Silver Shadow Stakes. Now, she finished just under five lengths from the winner, beat half the field home, and if you were disappointed on the day, Luke, you shouldn't have been. Firstly, give me your memories of the run. I don't think she ever got on the track. And tell me about the place getters' names. Yeah, look, we obviously found ourselves in a pretty solid um, race in the Silver Shadow and she drew very awkwardly and sort of we were hoping to get some luck and try to get in, but she got none of that. She was, I think she was planted about eight or nine deep the whole trip oh. and um, there were some uh, pretty smart ones underneath us that drew well. We had In Secret, um, oh, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, look, you know, they were obviously very talented horses and, look, to her credit, she kept coming to the line, but obviously mm. um, the, the run had told on her. Yeah. Um, but it was a um, – it, it showed us that she was up to that sort of grade. Um, with any sort of luck, she would have finished a hell of a lot closer. So, yeah. Um, and then, this, yeah, so that was uh, that was that day, very unlucky, but she, um, she still, as she always does, tried hard. Zoo Gotcha was the winner, in secret ran second, won the new market two weeks ago, and North Star Lass ran third. 
Now, the Hong Kong agents don't often chase fillies and mares, but they wanted Opal Ridge, and you tell me the owners fielded some very tempting offers. Yeah, look, there was there was offers from everywhere, really. Um, a few studs were ringing up, um, obviously looking to her as a um, broodman later on. So um, there was a fair few offers at that time um, and some decent offers at that. Um, and obviously I'd um, pass them on to the owners and, um, look, they were just sort of living the dream with her and, you know, and obviously – she was looking like being a once-in-a-lifetime type of horse and Ryan and his father have been in been in racing in a small way for a long time and um, I think they realised, you know, um, what they've got and um, decided to keep on going on and um, I'm, I'm very happy to them to, that we did and, um, you know, mm. she's um, doing a fantastic job. Well, after that, uh, she ran second to economics in the listed heritage stakes and the rain continued to tumble down in Sydney. You aimed up for a race called the Tap Craig on the 8th of October. It was a heavy 10 track. Luke, it was so bottomless that the meeting was called off after your race. She doesn't care what sort of going it is. Yeah, I don't think there's uh, – well, I don't think I've seen a heavier track in all my life um, – uh, it was basically a swimming pool and the jockeys were talking about calling it off just before my race and they, um, mm. lucky for me, they decided to give it one more go and I just had no idea how she, oh, look, I don't think anybody had any idea how their horses were going to handle it. Mm. Um, and look, lucky enough, she, she went through it, you know, as good as she does on top of the ground and just thrived. She was a fit filly um, going into the race and, yeah, she she um, was able to um, – you know, win and win well and big prize money on that day, a half a million dollar race. And um, look, it was um, a uh, big tick to her. And um, we, we then found out she basically goes on any conditions. Um, I think yeah. she, uh, you can quite safely say she handles wet ground. <laughs> um, I'll say. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was a great day. Um, obviously a name, uh, race named after yourself, John. So I was, um, you know, it was just an amazing day there for all the owners and um, yeah, no, it was uh, you know it was very fulfilling to win a race after named after you, mate. And Ian and I were delighted. We watched the race on a TV monitor. Uh, I'd actually quietly tipped your filly, and I hadn't tipped a winner for about twenty-seven years, so I got quite a buzz out of it. Yeah, no, it was a good day. Um, you know, look, it was a funny how it all happened leading into the race. We actually didn't sort of have that race in our plans and um, when the nominations come out um, they were not as strong as what we thought it was going to be so we threw in a late nom mm. um, and then we accepted and just decided to run and um, yeah funny how things have happened and you know yeah. it was probably just meant to be but uh, yeah it was a great day that's for sure. You couldn't get her to the spelling patty quickly enough after that race. You gave her a long, long blow, and you tell me she furnished magnificently. She's bigger and stronger in every department, isn't she? Yeah, she just seems to keep doing this when we give her a good break, um, goes out and comes back bigger and stronger. And um, look, all horses obviously do, you know, when they go and have a break, but she just sort of goes that just extra bit further every time she comes back she seems to be a different horse um we had planned to give her um 
a set period off and um, she was spelling at Willow Park Stud and um, we went out and seen her and I was talking to Glenn Burrows who owns Willow Park Stud and we, you know, we have the opinion that she just started to really let down and um, we decided to give her another month um, oh, yeah. and I think it was the best thing we ever done oh, for yeah. her. That's called uh, a master stroke, Luke, a master stroke. Yeah, so we, look, you know, being a country horse, she was eligible for country championships and stuff like mm. that and that was sort of in penciled in as a part of the plan but once we had to give her that extra month um that's that plan sort of had to go out the back door because we're just not gonna we weren't gonna have enough time to get her ready no. um, for the qualifier um so look we decided to give her that extra month and concentrate on the the three-year-old racing and um yeah look she, you know she was um you know, just absolutely amazing in a first trial, and then um, we headed off to Melbourne. Yeah, you did for the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar English Sprint at Flemington. You left home on the Tuesday. She travelled down beautifully, as she always does. You stayed at Team Snowden's Flemington stable. On race day, she only had a five minute trip on the truck from the Snowden stables to the tie up stalls. But boy. A lot happened in that five minutes. Yeah, look, one of the other horses in the truck um, got a bit upset and it sort of upset her for a little bit and she just took took a, an abrasion. That's all it was. It wasn't a cut. It wasn't um, bleeding. It was nothing like that. It was an abrasion off her sheen. Um, look, obviously the vets had to have a look at it and they deemed her unfit the race. It was a – yeah, look, not one of my best days at the races, that's oh. for sure. It was a long way to go and um, we'll – we will favour it for that race and, um, you know, we'll, we're expecting her to run extremely well in another big prize money race. So, mm. um, yeah, look, I had to take a couple of deep breaths after leaving the races and, oh, yeah. um, look, at the end of the day, the horse's welfare is everything and, um, you know, we made sure she was fine um, and um, we decided to um, head on home back to Scone and um, get her ready for her next target. And the next target was last Saturday's Derby Munro Stakes. Now, you were obviously gutted when she drew right off the course, but at least you knew exactly how she had to be ridden. Yeah, look, we, um, you know, it was a rough couple of weeks and then um, the barrier draws come out on the Wednesday and we drew 16 of 16 at Rose Hill over 1,200 and I was like, geez, what do we, we got to do here to get some luck? And... Um, we knew the filly was in good order and, look, she goes – she's been going super at home and, look, obviously we missed that first up run so we really needed to go around. Um, and straight away having a look at the race, I knew there was going to be high speed. There was a lot of speed in the race. So um, when Tyler come out of the room on Saturday, we just said, look, mate, first up, we can't have a gut buster. we just got to take care of her. Um, we're going to ride her completely cold and, um, look, hoping for some luck and I said to him if the luck doesn't come well that's racing um but ride it for luck and um see how you go and um lucky enough our our luck had changed and there was a gap that appeared and she was good enough to get through it I'll say that was at the 200 meters Tyler pointed her between Cinderella days who was weakening and insurrection which was just barely holding its ground there wasn't much room. She was shoulder to shoulder. It didn't bother her one little bit. 
And once she got through that gap, Luke, that's when her real work started. She savaged the line. There's no other word. Yeah, she's got an electrifying turn of foot. She's um, She can really peel off a sectional. She's done it a couple of times um, in Sydney where she'd been knocked down and had no luck and she's picked herself up off the deck and run some silly sectional late. And, um, um, yeah, she was able to bullock her way through, you know, and had to sort of squeeze her way through and that's a great sign for young filly and, yeah. Um, when, once she got through, she really let go. Look, I knew she was going really well, but, you know, not in my wildest dreams. I thought she um, sort of put them away like she did, but that yeah. just shows, you know, the difference with her on race day. She's um, just got an incredible wheel to win and mm. um, we're just so super proud of the horse. Tyler Schiller, of course, would finish the day off with his first Group 1 win on Maria Mia in the Galaxy. You were listening in the truck on your way home. Yeah, it was one proud moment for me, John. I'm, you know, I was so um, so proud to win that um, race um, together with him, um, with Opal Ridge. Um, but watch him come out and ride his first Group One winner um, it was a very proud moment. I go go back with Tyler a long way, and um, he's just a great kid, and he's got a great head on his shoulders, and um, obviously got a massive future ahead of him. But he mm. deserves everything he gets. He's um, he's a hard worker, and um, He's just a country boy and he's really handled himself well in the city and um, he's obviously just got a, an amazing gift on a horse. Mm. You actually put him on his first tab winner. It was a mare called Gold Touch at Wagga. She was very short in the betting. She got cluttered up in the field, but that young bloke was unfazed. And we're going back four years, Luke. Yeah, look, he... I got word of a good mate of mine that was out at a non-tab meeting and he rode a winner and he said, you should got to have a look at this kid. And um, I chased him down for a couple of weeks with his old boss and was asking if he could come over and ride a couple of these mares that I was getting a lot of weight with. And, um, I, you know, obviously a kid, good kid with four kilos is a big help to some of these older mares that get big weights. And Took me a couple of weeks, but he finally allowed him to come over to his first tab meeting, and um, yeah, he rode it, rode it like any any senior, and um, yeah, yeah, we we had a great run together. Um, the, the old four kilos didn't last long, and nor did the three, and uh, and mm. just kept on going on from there. But yeah, just just um, look, he's obviously a gifted rider, but he's just a great person at the same time, and he's got a great head on his shoulders. Nothing sort of gets to him and he, you know, talking to him in an in the enclosure the other day on a big day like um, Slipper Day, he's very cool-headed and um, I think that's his um, best um, asset. He, he He's able to sort of uh, take the pressure on and, um, you know, deliver on the day. I guess you to stand by for a moment, Luke. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. When we come back, we'll find out uh, future plans for the brilliant filly. Opal Ridge. Many believe the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes has become the highlight race of the championships. It had its beginnings as the Queen's Plate in 1851, over three miles. Later in its history, the race was known as the AJC Plate and the King's Cup, but everything changed in 1953 when a young Queen Elizabeth witnessed the running of the race 
just nine months after her coronation. The young queen watched the 33 to 1 outsider Blue Ocean lead all the way to win the first Queen Elizabeth Stakes in track record time for the mile and a half. Nowadays it's run over 2,000 metres, it's for three-year-olds and upwards and has seen a spectacular prize money spiral in recent years. In 2013 it was worth half a million, today it's worth five million. Since the royal visit in 1954, Tullock and Winks are the only horses to win the race three times while dual winners have been Intergaze, Grand Army and Adaib who beat very elegant both times. The running of this year's Queen Elizabeth will mark the 50th anniversary of Gunsin's final race start. A huge crowd turned out at Randwick to farewell the gun to Windy Grey but had to settle for a fighting second to the New Zealander Apollo 11. What a pity it is that Gunsin's name doesn't appear on the list of winners. The Queen Elizabeth will be supported by three other Group 1 races, the Schwepp Sydney Cup, the Star Australian Oaks and the Queen of the Turf Stakes. It's a hell of a race day, day two of the championships on the 8th of April. Back with Luke Pepper, whose filly Opal Ridge scored brilliantly in the Derby Munro Stakes at Rosehill Gardens on Saturday. Now, going forward, I believe the Group 3 PJ Bell, the three-year-old fillies over 1,200 metres, will be her next run on the 1st of April. It looks the perfect race. Yeah, it looks a perfect target. Back to Philly grade. Um, obviously, she had to beat the boys the other day and back to Philly grade and obviously no race at this level is going to be easy, but um, looks a you know, the next step up the ladder for her. Um, and I think if we just take it nice and steady, there's no need to sort of um, uh, shoot too high at the moment when that race is a couple of weeks ahead of us. And, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing her second up. I bet Brisbane is on your radar. Definitely. I think if she can come out and win or, you know, run a super race um, a sad day week, um, I think, you know, Brisbane looks a good target for her. And, look, I guess we can shoot for the stars up there and um, there's a few uh, group ones up there that may suit her if she's going well enough. Um, obviously, the Stradbroke um, and there's the Tats Tiara a couple of weeks after that. Um both at the 1400, which she's proven over. And, um, you know, she's so so adaptable in her racing. Um, she can go forward, she can go back and handle all tracks. So, um, yeah, look, it's exciting times for everyone involved in her. And uh, I'm just, you know, I've got to pitch myself nearly every day to, you know, <laughs> that we're on, we're on this road. Back to your first job in the thoroughbred industry at Tony Hartnell's Maringo Stud at Bergalia right on the Pacific Ocean. How long were you there? Look, I would have been there for about five or six years, I reckon, all up. It was, um, it was a great time. Um, you know, I had I'd done a lot of show jumping um, and pony club and that through the years. And, um, you know, I was only quite young at the time and um, I was able to, you know, become more of a horseman at that at that start and learn from, you know, weanlings up the stallions and mm. uh, we had to do everything from sales to serving stallions to vetting and um, I really enjoyed my time there at the start and probably one of the most picturesque studs in Australia. It's right on right on the water, um, mm. basically got its own private beach and, um, yeah, it was um, good times down there and, um, mm. yeah, really enjoyed it. Funny thing, Luke, there are breeding buffs who say 
you can't breed good horses on the coast. Uh, those buffs will be interested to know that apart from a horse called Takeover Target, Mr Innocent was bred and reared there and so was a terrific filly in Victory Vane who won a couple of Group 1s. Yeah, I actually led um, Mr Innocent through to sales ring um, <laughs> as a yearling, so... Um, yeah, so we were able to um, meet Maldra while we were up at Coffs Harbour and, um, yeah, it was a great story and I'm actually uh, still um, sort of friends with a few of his owners and um, um, up at Coffs Harbour Way and, um, yeah, it was a great story and Victory Vane, she went through the system while I was there as well and mm-hmm. she was a dynamite two-year-old. So, yeah, there were some really nice horses come off that that property and um, there still is, there's still some lovely horses coming off that property and yeah look i don't know about the coastal thing but it's a beautiful place and the horses seem to do well there so um yeah one of the home mares at Maringo in your time there was shady stream who'd been purchased by tony in foal to celtic swing and her cult foal was born on the property do you recall the little bloke with the big white blaze Look, I'd love to say I could recall him as a baby, but, you know, we'd have 50-odd mares falling down there in the season. So, um, yeah, look, I, I knew the mare. I remember when quite clearly when we bought the mare, or when Tony bought the mare, sorry, and um, mm. um, she had a baby by Celtic Swing. But, uh, yeah, I, I had no idea um, that he was going to end up like he did and no idea that I'd meet him later on down the track. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. He won 21 races all over the world take over target. He ran 10 seconds and he earned more than $6 million and you were destined to have a lot to do with him later on. We'll get to that shortly. What were the stallions standing at Maringo during your time there? Yeah, we had a few stallions. So um, probably Mr Henry C, obviously the father of Mr Innocent and Victory Vane. Mm. Um, Azam, he stood there. C Swell, um, later on Naturalism arrived. Mm. Um, yeah, so look, they'll do some nice stallions and they, um, yeah, they've done a really good job and, um, I worked with all, all of them stallions and served them all and, um, yeah, it was, I was pretty lucky to put my hands on some really nice horses. The lure of racing was firmly ingrained in your DNA, uh, by this time of your life and it prompted you eventually to seek employment in a racing stable and you landed the right job with the right person, Barbara Joseph at Canberra. And you tell me the very first thing she said to you was, Luke, can you ride? Yeah, exactly, John. I, I was moving to Canberra and obviously I needed to um, get a job and I, I knew Barb through the start and um, I run her and asked if, I, if she had any work going and that was the first thing she said to me, can you ride? And I said I think I can ride I never rode track work but I um, obviously rode a lot of show jumping and that and um, mm. yeah sort of that's where it all started my, my love for racing at um, Barb Stables and um, yeah like I said to you I um, I think I rode two horses the first morning and might have rode 12 or 13 the next day so um, <laughs> I was thrown in the deep end um, but that's how I learnt and it was um, good times. One of the nice horses you got to ride work for Barbara Joseph was the Bonnie Mare Ain't seen nothing. She finished up uh, running fourth or fifth in a Caulfield Cup. She raced well in, in a Melbourne campaign. Yeah, she was – look, she was a super filly. Um, there wasn't much of her. Um, 
But I think she won six in a row. She won the Keith Nolan Classic at um, Campbell Grange. Um, she ran in all the big ones. And, um, yeah, I was just lucky enough to be her track work rider and got to travel with her. And um, I learned so much, um, uh, you know, doing the Melbourne Carnival and able to see all the good horses and being at Flemington. And um, I learned so much as a rider then. And, um, yeah, it was just um, amazing times. And to share it with um, Barb and all the family, um, coming from Canberra to get a horse into a Melbourne Cup was an amazing feat um, in itself. Um, and, um, yeah, it was an amazing day to um, strap one in the Melbourne Cup. Riding regular track work triggered your desire to ride in races. You were always too heavy to contemplate a professional career, so you did the next best thing and you gained an amateur licence. And over the next few years, you had a whale of a time on the picnic circuit I think you rode somewhere between 50 and 60 winners and you loved every minute of it. Yeah, look, it was it was amazing. I really just had so much fun um, riding at the picnics. You know, obviously it's the grassroots of racing and if anybody's ever been to a picnic race day, um, there's nothing quite like them. They're big days, usually run by the local towns and um, it's a big event for the local towns and everybody gets to these races and, usually get big crowds the the tracks are usually a bit rough and um, the horses are a bit the same but um, some great people and um, yeah I had some great times I was lucky enough to ride a fair few winners and um, I rode a actual treble at Rose Hill when they had the picnics there at uh, Rose Hill on Melbourne Cup day yeah so uh, yeah no it was uh, good times mate Mm. You must have uh, turned up at some pretty rustic places in those days as a picnic jockey. Did you ever ride at a place with a uh, an amazing name, Come By Chance? Yeah, I think I had a couple of rides there at Come By Chance. Um, look, there's some amazing tracks out there, pl- tracks where people wouldn't even know their tracks are. And, um, you know, there's, you know, Binder Picnics, um, Crookwell Picnics, which named, and, uh, you know, even to Bajerabong. Bajerabong's probably, you know, one of my favourite picnic meetings of the year. It was um, uh, the tracks on the on the, on the the river and it's in tremendous condition and they get a massive, massive crowd there and um, we, you know, I've been lucky enough to win the cup there a couple of times and mm. um, obviously Bonbong and places like that. So there's some, um, yeah, some great days and, you know, big events. Happy days, mate, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. They were good times. We had a couple of riders in Canberra at the time. We used to all travel together and, um, you know, we'd have to travel a few hours to these meetings and back and, um, you know, we had some great times, that's for sure. You later decided to accept an offer to become stable foreman for Nick Olive, who was based at Thoroughbred Park. He had some handy horses during your time there. Voice Commander was one of them. Yeah, look, um, Nick and me worked at Barb's together and Nick decided to um, go out on his own as a trainer and um, I went with him as his track work rider foreman and we left with six horses and um, that's all we had. That was the, the full amount and um, we were able to um, build up in a pretty pretty good team and I think in the first 12 months or so um, we were able to win the Canberra Premiership with you know no more than 12 horses. So we had an incredible start. Um, with Nick and um, at the time he had a little filly called um, Zanata and um, mm-hmm. look she she was a you know tough really tough on speed filly and 
Um, she took us all the way to the Australasian Oaks in Adelaide and just got nailed in um, in a Group One. So, um, look, he had a lot of nice horses. Voice Commander was one of them, and um, you know, I was lucky enough to um, be a part of it all. And we had, you know, we're still great mates to this day, and um, we had a great time together. And um, yeah, it was good times. It was during your time with Nick Olive that Joe Janiak paid you a very high compliment. He wanted you to ride Takeover Target in all of the horses' track work leading up to his first trip to the United Kingdom, which would have meant frequent trips to Queen Beanne. Now, when you declined because of obvious work commitments, Joe arranged to stable Takeover Target at Nick Oliver's place in Canberra for quite a long time, must have been getting on towards three months. Uh, Joe would drive over to supervise the work and Luke Pepper rode him exclusively. Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, it was just an amazing story. Look, I, I followed a horse for a long time. Um, I'm great mates with Jay Ford and Jay was apprenticed in Canberra and I remember him ringing me and saying, I'm riding this horse at Wagga um, over the carnival and he says, I think it's the best horse I've ever ridden. And I looked at the paper and I'd seen it drew 17 or something in the uh, class one, um, obviously the Wagga Carnival was quite strong and I was like, you're kidding yourself, how can it win? Yeah. Anyway, I turned the telly on and um, the horse crossed from the outside gate in about three strides and smashed the track record and it was um, <laughs> takeover target. It was his second start. He won his yeah. first start at Queanbeyan and Jay, I, I still remember now him ringing me up and said, I told you, you know, and I, I was just dumbfounded. And still at this time I had no idea of his breeding or anything like that. And um, then the story went on from there. He obviously went up and won the Ramoni, and that's when I clicked on that he was bred at Moringo and I knew the mayor and yeah. he was probably there when I was there. And, um, um, yeah, anyway, I met up with him in um, Melbourne and become quite – I knew Joe and Ben um, yeah. from Canberra and Queanbeyan, but, you know, not really well. And, um, you know, obviously down in um, Melbourne, you know, you become a bit of a family down there over the carnival and um, – yeah, we become pretty close and he come out and won his first group one. I still remember sitting in a car park at Flemington because I ain't seen nothing and run earlier mm. and she was getting on the truck to head back to the stables and I'm jumping up and down trying to watch it on the big screen in the car park at um, Flemington as he won his first group one. and um, Salinger. The Salinger, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah and that, then the sort of story rolled on from there and when he come back from that carnival, they approached me to ride him and, you know, I was pretty pretty excited that they approached me to ride him track work and, um, and yeah, you know, for Joe to bring him over the camera so I could ride him every day was um, amazing and, yeah, it just went on from there. You had to make a special arrangement with a certain publican so that you could watch the running of Takeover Target's first English assignment, the 2006 yeah. King Stand at Royal Ascot. Yeah, so um, obviously it's um, quite early in the morning and um, Ben had, had somehow organised for the public and then leave the pub open so we could go and watch it at the pub. <laughs> and um, Yeah, I still remember me and Ben, you know, basically pulling his television off the wall when the um, he, <laughs> he um, was holding them off and um, oh, it was a great thrill, you know. It's, um, you know, as I've travelled with him and, you know, it's never easy to take a horse to the other side of the world and win and, um um, for him to do that was just unbelievable and, um, yeah, we couldn't be more proud of the horse. You were delighted to accompany Takeover Target on two 
of his international raids. One of them was to Japan when he won the Group 1 Sprinter's Stakes at Nakayama. Now, Luke, many say, J. Ford, Joe Janiak included, that this was probably his finest moment. He destroyed a field of brilliant sprinters in that race. Oh, look, without a doubt, he he was just dynamite that day. Nothing nothing in the world was going to beat him. Um, his gallop leading into that race, um, Joe was thought he was a bit heavy and wanted me to give him a solid hit out, and um, um, I sort of give him a nice hit out. And um, when I come back in, Jay said, oh, you could have given him a bit more. And I said, Joe, it was only – only one other thing he was going to do, he was just going to take off the ground. They don't go any quicker than that. And um, mm. uh, he then went into the race, obviously, against Silent Witness and, um, you know, Japan's best horses. And there was a few other English horses that had come over to race in this um, race. And, um, yeah, he yeah. blew them away. It was an amazing moment. I've, I've never quite seen anything like it, um, the crowd at um, Nakayama and, Mm. Um, the presentation after the race was incredible. It was like we w- were going to the Olympics. They had us up on um, little platforms and they played the national anthem. And, um, yeah, it's something I'll never forget and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. Mm. You also looked after Takeover Target when he went to Hong Kong for the international sprint and this turned out to be a disaster. He was scratched on the morning of the race when a pre-race test showed the presence of a hormonal substance. Joe Janiak was heavily fined and completely devastated. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, it definitely wasn't. It was, um, look, it was one of those things. Um, it was sort of out of our power and, um, you know, arrived in Hong Kong, you know, obviously after winning in Japan, he was a short price favourite and, um, look, I think it was the end of the what they call the Global Spring Challenge, and it was the sort of the last race of the challenge. And um, you know, he, he um, was well deserving of sort of winning that, and um, he wasn't allowed to race. And um, we all sort of, we even though we enjoyed the day, the big international day in Hong Kong, it was definitely was a sore sore part in our hearts. That's for sure. Mm. Well, finally, you put up your sign at Thoroughbred Park, Luke Pepper. Horse trainer, you sweated on that first win, and it came along on the thirty-first of October two thousand and nine at Queenbeyan, courtesy of Ganesan, ridden by Timmy Phillips. There's not a trainer alive, Luke, who doesn't remember his or her first winner. Yeah, I remember it quite fondly. He wasn't a wasn't a nice as the horses that horse, and. Um... He was a bit tricky, and I remember him throwing Timmy on the way to the start, and um, oh, lucky Timmy held on to him and um, got him in the gates, and he won, and then he threw him about two, 200 metres after the post. So um, it was definitely one I won't forget. But, um, mm. yeah, it was my first winner, and um, I was, um, you know, obviously so proud and, um, yeah, just didn't realise where this training would take me. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that day. You had to wait about eight months before your first city winner came along and that was on the Kenzo track with a mare called Pandarell ridden by Corey Brown. And if you've asked Corey, as you probably have, I'll bet he remembers it too. Yeah, Corey remembers it. It was a big day. I remember getting up there and she I knew she was half a chance. She was a good little mare to me, that mare. And, um Oh, look, I, I, I don't think I'd had many runners in Sydney beforehand and, um, yeah, she was able to get the job done and 
another day I won't forget and um, it was a piece of a ride by Corey and um, yeah, that no, was a great day. Until Opal Ridge came along, your favourite horse was Viceroy, who'd won races at Ballarat and Balaclava before going onto the market. It was a private deal, Luke. You got wind of his availability. You got straight on the phone and you bought him. He wasn't a gift either at $30,000, but he's repaid you many times over. Yeah, look, I uh, had um, a real good mate of mine. Um, we raced a, a little mare together and um, she was, wasn't was the soundest of mares and she unfortunately um, done a fetlock in her last start and was um, destined for the breeding barn and he said, keep an eye out for a tried one and I heard of, heard of this horse and I looked at his form and um yeah yeah the, the the figure was 30 grand back then that was a decent money for a tried horse it's probably not now but um mm. it was decent enough money and i look we weren't looking for a, a star of anything we just wanted a nice solid sort of horse for the country and um we were looking for a horse to run at the wagga carnival and um just worked out that we picked him up and were able to get him up to um at canberra there and um look the horse is yeah, he, he's he's just been such a well, – he's been a war horse at the races and he, he took us on such a great ride. But um, he's a bit of a human, this horse, and, um, I you know, rode him every day. And, um, yeah, we had a great run with him, that's for sure. Well, you won a race at Wagga with him. You won three at Canterbury. He ran second in a Wagga town plate. I remember he was a close fourth in a Ramorny at Grafton, won by Haversay. He was a great mate for you, Luke, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. He um, he's a very special horse. He was a good racehorse, but he's a very special horse around the stables. My um, young son used to get on him and ride him around his box, and um, he's more human than anything else. And yeah. um, when he come to that point in his career, and we retired him, um, um, he wasn't going anywhere. We decided to keep him, and. Um, He's he's done an amazing job with my partner Tani. He's doing show jumping. He's doing jump clubs and that with the focus on getting him out to some shows um, later in this year. And um, he's he's quite talented at that as well. And um, yeah, he's 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 my best mate. And um, he's going yeah. nowhere. He'll live his life with us. That's for sure. Well, I was intrigued when you told me that he still loves a day at the races. And last Saturday. You put him on the truck and you took him to Rose Hill with Opal Ridge, just tethered him alongside her in the tie-up stalls and he had the time of his life. Yeah, he loves it, John. He really does. He um, loves getting on the truck and he knows he knows his job now. He knows he's not racing anymore and um, he loves going down there and the ladies at the gate, they um, always have carrots for him, so he's charging <laughs> off the truck to get to them. So, oh, um, isn't that great? Yeah, he, he, look, he, he's not many you know, horses like him and um, he he actually enjoys going to the races. He stands there all day and gets pats off and a lot of people still know him and come up and say good day to him. He mm. was no star, that's for sure, but, he, you know, he's one of those horses that people remember and um, mm. um, but he does. He's, he's so good like that and I'm able to take him. Um, he's basically been, except Melbourne, every start of Opal's life um, since she's been at Scone, he's been there, mm. even in her first up run at Scone. And um, she she likes him too, which is a bonus. And, um, yeah, mm. no, he's, look, he's a great asset. You know, anybody you can talk to, any trainer will tell you a good pony's worth their weight in gold. But mm. my pony's just a bit bigger than some of the, some of the other ponies. That's yeah, all. Oh, but he is. <laughs> now, speaking of your partner, Tani, 
Tani has long held an interest in the science of the equine species and was delighted soon after you got to Scone to land a job with the Hunter Equine Centre. Now, nowadays, she helps out in the stables before and after her role as a scientist at the vet centre. Yeah, Tani was um, in Canberra. She worked at the Canberra Hospital in the human side of stuff. And um, uh, when we moved to Scone, obviously their their hospital up here is you know, quite small in a rural sort of hospital and there was no sort of science department in the, in the hospital. So um, she was able to secure a scientist job in um, a veterinary clinic and uh, she she really does enjoy it. You know, it's both her passions, I guess. She's um, great with the horses and um, she's, she rides work and um, she just loves the animal like we all do. And, um, yeah, she, she's been amazing, um, obviously, my rock and, uh, um, you know, been able to sort of, you know, it's never easy um, in stable life or racing life. It's a 24-7 job and mm. it's very demanding and, um you know, everybody's sort of got to put in and and um, I'm lucky enough to have a partner like her that, um, you know, helps out as much as she can and she um, she rides, you know, work when she come in like and ride one or two when she can and she really enjoys that part of it and, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, great to have her, that's for sure. Now, Luke, that is a pretty decent rap and that's going to get you many points. Let's hope so, John. <laughs> <laughs> Now, mate, about this time last year, maybe a little earlier, you were browsing through the catalogue for the 2022 Magic Millions Tasmanian yearling sale and you all but fell off the chair when you spotted a half-sister to Opal Ridge by Outreach, a golden slipper winner. Now, you knew how much ability your filly had by this stage and you move quickly. Did you get somebody to go and have a look at her? Uh, look, mate, I, I had a couple of people over there have a quick look at her for me and, um, look, the, the idea was that she was a filly and um, if, if Opal went on to what we're hoping she'd done, she'd be worth sort of um, uh, money just as residual value anyhow. So, yeah. um, look, the reports were good. There was no issues with her. She she was clean on X-ray and um, – yeah, we're able to buy her and, um, yeah, very, very happy to um, um, pick up the sister to Opal. Right, 30000 Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you couldn't wait to get her home because you yep. made up your mind to keep at least 50% of her. So what happened yeah, then? I, Who took I, the other I 50? Kept a, I kept half of her and then um, a few um, other clients, um, most of them in Opal Ridge, um, took the other half of her. Um, and, um, yeah, we've got her broken in and, um, she's had a couple of preps and a couple of trials and, um, look, she's a bit of a different model to Opal. She's probably not as, um, natural, um, and early as her, but she does have a motor. Um, she trialed up a cu- uh, at Musselbrook and Scone and running places in both trials that she's, she's going through a big growth spurt at this point and we decided to tip her out and give her a good break and um, concentrate more on her late two-year-old, early three-year-old, very mirror image to Opal Ridge. And her name is? Her name is Diamond Ridge. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Hunt um, come up with that as he named Opal Ridge and um, we kept with the same plan. Well, here you are, Luke, from the Ride Pony Club to the role of professional trainer 
with a stakes-winning filly in the stable. There's no turning back for you, mate. You are completely hooked. It's onwards and upwards. Yeah, look, John, I, I, I really do love it. And, um, look, anybody in this game will tell you you've got to love it because it's not easy. It's... Um, it's a big roller coaster. It's um, some amazing high times, and there's some you know low times in racing, and um, that's why you make the most of the better times. And um, look, I've just been extremely lucky in my racing career, but you know, um, been able to handle some and ride some really good horses, and you know, one of them was the world's best. And uh, um, yeah, look, I you know sort of pinch myself every now and then. You know, in my career, I've been lucky enough to do that. But um, look, we we take every day, day by day, and um, yeah, it's it's, um, it's an incredible game, and um, it's very rewarding. And look, at the end of the day, I just love the horse. I always have from the days I was show jumping, and um, yeah, I, I continue to do it. Forty-two years of age, Luke. It's all ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, you know, I started in in horses very young, and, and um, I've been in racing. Even though I'm only 42, I've been in racing a long time. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just it's amazing where this you know, industry can take you. And if you um, put your head down and have a go, um, you know, it's there's no. Um, it's always you know the the hard the harder you work, the more you get out of this industry. That's for sure. And um, and that's a definite in racing, you know, and um, and if you don't work hard, you know, that's, it's just the way it is. But, um, yeah, I, I love I love racing and, uh, you know, I've made some amazing friends and um, met some amazing people in my time in racing and um, I'm very grateful for it. Thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Great to have you on board, Luke Pepper. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the Racing Cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation.